Welcome to the Eye on the Cure podcast, the podcast about winning the fight against retinal disease from the Foundation Fighting Blindness. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Eye on the Cure podcast. I am Ben Shaberman with the Foundation Fighting Blindness, and very pleased you could join us. And I'm especially pleased today to have with us uh, Sylvia Sorensen, who's going to have a conversation with me about mental health and low vision. It's a topic that we don't cover a whole lot at the foundation. We're obviously focused on treatments and cures, but it's a really important topic, and I'm glad that we'll be covering it. And Sylvia, welcome. Glad you could join us. And just to give our uh, listeners some background, Sylvia is a Ph.D., She is Associate Professor at the University of Rochester in the Department of Counseling and Human Development with co-appointments in the Departments of Psychiatry, Ophthalmology, and the Center for Community Health and Prevention. It sounds like you cover a lot of territory there at the University of Rochester. Intersecting circles. (laughs) Right, right. So on that note, give us a little background on your work and how it relates to people with vision loss. Yeah, so I I, um, want to qualify all of my answers, first of all, by saying I'm neither an eye doctor nor a clinical psychologist. Okay. And I think that's important because I come to this uh, originally as a researcher, and uh, my background is in human development and gerontology, but I have a special interest in underserved populations and people who have vision loss are one of those groups who are underserved medically and also in terms of mental health. So the, the project that we're completing right now, um, we offer a resilience building program to older adults, people over 55 with any kind of vision loss. And um, because we were interested in engaging minoritized populations, um, so African-Americans, um, Hispanics, Asian-Americans, we also did not limit the either the conditions or the type of vision loss in this project. Um, what we offer is um, a program that consists of four group education sessions in which people learn about different aspects of vision loss, like, for example, the medical aspects or the socio-emotional aspects of of vision loss, and also different ways to actually deal with everyday issues that you run into when you lose your vision. And after those four group um, sessions, we offer one-on-one individual coaching sessions, and we call them resilience building coaching. They're an adaptation of uh, problem-solving therapy, but they're not therapy. There really are more um, identify a problem, work through the problem, and learn the technique of kind of being systematic about dealing with your problems. So that's the latest project that we've been working on. And we are researching how well that can be implemented in community settings. Interesting. So what do you observe in your research as being the most significant mental health challenges for people with vision loss? Obviously, there are the numerous practical challenges, but emotionally, what do you think people struggle with? Well, a third of older people who have um, vision loss develop depression at some point. Um, So that's a really high number. 
And um, even if you don't have clinical depression, you might develop depression symptoms, which are um, which really uh, put a dent in your quality of life if you're having depression symptoms a lot. Uh, another thing that we see is anxiety, uh, sometimes panic attacks, and sometimes just worry and anxiety about the future. And that is also something that affects younger people a lot. Uh, so young people with um, with vision loss, for example, worry about finding a mate uh, and a life partner. And uh, and whereas older people may be more worried about how are they going to remain independent. And um, then the other things that the other issues that come up that contribute to um, that contribute to mental health problems, although they are not like diagnosed mental health problems, are loneliness. So a lot of times people who lose their vision uh, start isolating themselves or becoming more isolated because they're less mobile. And so um, and loneliness, we now know, is associated with all kinds of difficulties, both mental health and physical health problems. Uh, low self-esteem is something that that happens a lot. People feel like nobody really wants to be with me anymore if I have vision loss. Uh, fear of falling is really important for for older people because they stop doing the necessary exercise and movement that they need. And then losing valued activities. That's one of the important uh, things that lead to depression in a lot of people. So if you were a musician all your life and now you can't read music, uh, then that can be really, really frustrating. And um, and oftentimes is sort of the in-between variable that then later leads to depression is that you're losing things that you really love. Sure. That that's a wide range of potential challenges. And as you were um, giving that overview, I was thinking that the pandemic that we're in the middle of right now is just exacerbating all all that stuff, because even those of us with relatively good vision are struggling with some of those issues. I, I, I can imagine the additional challenges if you have vision loss. So obviously people can try to seek therapy as one way to address these conditions. Can you give us a little more information on, on what you think people can do in their communities to, to deal with these issues? Yeah. So I think the first step is oftentimes just education. So um, people learn about their vision condition from an ophthalmologist and an ophthalmologist is usually not trained to uh, impart that information in a, in, in a, um, in a way that allows them to take it in and process it. So oftentimes people will come to us and say, my ophthalmologist said, you're going to go blind and there's nothing I can do about it. And that is, that feels like a death sentence to them. And so uh, I think the, the first step is really to learn about what is really my condition? What is you're going to go blind really mean? Because, it, you know, if you're legally blind, you still see something. And, um, and if you have macular degeneration, for example, that is a long process. It's a decade-long process. It doesn't happen overnight, usually. And um, so, so educating yourself about the condition that you have, and really, what is the time frame, and and then educating 
also others around you about your condition is really important. So if you, for example, if you have macular degeneration, your central vision is affected. So you may not see or recognize somebody right in front of you, and but you might see that tissue on the floor out of the your peripheral vision and you're, you know, the people around you might say, well, you're not really blind if you can see that. And so educating them about what is, what your condition is like, what, the, what you have learned about the prognosis is really important. The other thing I think is to stay on top of kind of the new, the newer developments. So it takes about 15 years for some new development to actually hit patient, um, uh, use, right? Um, and so whatever was started about 15 years ago may finally become available now. So that could be, um, you know, some kind of stem cell research that, that might actually have applications now, or it could be, um, it could be, uh, implantable telescopic lenses, things like that. So, so trying to stay on top of that and checking in with your doctors about what the, what some of the newer, uh, available treatments are, I think is really helpful. So education. The next thing is support. You need to garner support and also communicate your how much support you do or don't want. So a support group is really good because they're, they're all people who have similar issues that you have. And um, so you can exchange ideas and you can, ex- you can do things together and not feel like you're standing out because you spilled something on your shirt because you didn't see your, um, but also your family support. Sometimes people over support you and they do everything for you. And um, people get really angry about that. And so communicating in a calm way before that happens to somebody um, that, you know, I'd like help with this, but I don't want you to do this for me because I feel like I can still do it myself. And it makes me feel better if I do those things myself. So that's, uh, that's another important thing. Um, education support, um, vision rehabilitation. I think that is huge and it's totally underutilized. And it's also uh, not well uh, funded by Medicare or Medicaid and, and those organizations. So if you are younger and the vision uh, rehabilitation can contribute to your workability, then usually you can get it funded in ways. If you're older, Medicare does not cover it and um, or only parts of it. And so it's, uh, but it's an incredibly important tool. And actually in our four education sessions, we have uh, two professionals who do vision rehabilitation, one for sort of indoor immediate everyday activities and the other one for uh, orientation and mobility. And, and they talk to our participants in, in our programs because if the participants can't access that rehabilitation, at least they can get some of that information from us. So that's uh, vision rehabilitation. And then the fourth thing you mentioned counseling. And so our program is, is kind of instead of counseling in a, in a way, um, because we're really focusing on a, on a less sort of uh, therapy, uh, you know, think about your childhood and how that's, um, uh, uh, contributing to your current situation and more about how do you solve problems right now and how can you do a better job of solving problems to make yourself feel better? Because usually feeling down 
is an indication that some problem hasn't been addressed. And so we try to work through that. So that's the fourth component is to find some way to either go into a program where you learn problem solving or get some kind of um, therapeutic or counseling intervention. And um, I do think a lot um, of counseling in those situations. I think that, you know, even having six sessions with a counselor and just working through some of the emotions that you're, you're feeling uh, as a result of the vision loss is really helpful. And we, we refer people um, after our program sometimes for continued counseling as well. Right. I, I really like that review of many practical suggestions mm-hmm. um, that you provided, practical things that people can do. And just a little plug for the Foundation Fighting Blindness, we have a chapter network throughout the U.S. where people can be get involved in their local community and meet other people who are dealing with the same challenges of low vision, progressive vision loss. And, you know, at the end of the day, often it's just nice to have somebody else to to talk to and and commiserate. Um, For for people in their communities, are there organizations or types of therapists they can reach out to to maybe get some counseling? Is there a certain kind of group that you would recommend? Yeah, so I was thinking about that. And I know that, for example, here in Rochester, we have a deaf health center. So we actually have a center that's com- that's very interested in people who ha- ha- are hard of hearing or deaf and um, providing them with both physical and mental health um, services uh, that are um, that that are accessible to them. There is no such parallel for vision uh, impaired people. And, um, but a lot of uh, cities have like an association for the blind or, um, there are state, uh, state, um, associations for the blind. And I, I can send you some resources that I've put together about that for, for different, um, states and, and cities just to give you an idea. But, those associations oftentimes have social workers and the social workers there are specialized on vision loss. And so they are experienced in talking people through um, the issues that they might be encountering. One of the recommendations I have sort of on a systemic level, not on the personal level, but people may want to advocate for that, is that any larger vision clinic should uh, budget for a social worker and have that social worker not just help people get to appointments or pay for appointments, but also actually provide some um, counseling assistance for people who are struggling. And that if that is part of the normal all-round eye care, then people will take more advantage of it. Right now, mental health is a little stigmatized. And so if you say, well, you should talk to our counselor, People might not feel comfortable with that. But if that's a normal part of your intake, for example, that would that would make a world of difference in getting people access to some sort of mental health assistance. I I definitely agree. And I think your comments about low vision rehabilitation are really important because it's a very practical step that people can take to uh, improve their quality of life. And each community has its own low vision resources and rehabilitation services. 
But I would think those places might also know about where somebody could get some mental health support as well. Do do you ever work with groups, um, the bigger mental health organizations? Like I'm thinking of NAMI, NAMI, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, National Association for Mental Illness or other groups like that. I have not actually, I mean, I've worked with them and, and, or representatives of them in other contexts, but not in the vision loss context specifically. Uh, I think that, um, vision loss seems to be one of, uh, still in the, in the provider community, one of the really the underserved, um, group because people don't know exactly how to, uh, adjusts their approach to match people who have vision impairments. And so I think, but that, I think that's a great idea actually is to do a collaboration with NAMI um, specifically for people with vision loss. I think that sometimes uh, people don't want to actually admit to vision loss because they fear they're going to be taken advantage of or for older people that they might feel like uh, people will want want to um, take away their independence, which uh, I, I, people I've talked to have told me that, you know, I, I really don't want to let my kids know that how bad my vision is because they're going to say you need to move to a nursing home or something like that and, right. and that they don't want to do that. Uh, so that's sometimes tricky um, in terms of getting an organization like NAMI involved because uh, they they don't want to admit to the vision loss, and they certainly don't want to admit to any kind of mental health issue. So that's why we frame our work actually not as a me- mental health um, uh, program, but more as a resilience building, because we want to say, you know, you may or may not have depression symptoms, but we want to make sure that in down the road, you might be able to prevent that. And we've had some, some um, success with that, so... Thanks again for sharing that. And again, I appreciate your practical perspective on trying to to deal with the mental health issues. If somebody can be a little more independent and do the things they like to do by translation, you would think that would make that would improve their mental uh-huh. health. So, yeah. So for young people, you know, it might work if they can, they learn black Braille early on, for example, to have all of your materials available in Braille and um, that sort of thing. For older adults, learning Braille is a is is a long shot. Um, some do. I've talked to people who are actively learning Braille so that when they lose their vision completely, they have that option. But I think that's even Braille is still underutilized, uh, and and so we really we have to think about alternatives uh, to to Braille and. Um, so for example, all of my materials are large print, uh, and, um, we have super large print stuff for some people <laughs> because, you know, because of the, they have difficulties. One thing that you mentioned earlier was the pandemic and, you know, our program was all in person initially, and we have tried to adapt it to zoom for the pandemic. And that's been, you know, mildly successful. Um, some, some of the one-on-one sessions actually, it, it worked very well because we could use the screen for those with not so severe vision loss to, to lay out things that otherwise might be hard to see. 
um, the group sessions were hard on Zoom, uh, especially anything like orientation and mobility. So we're trying, we were trying to adapt what we were doing to this new format and, um, with mixed success. Right. And yeah, Zoom can be a little challenging for the, again, for those of us with pretty good vision. But I want to get back to one other thing as we kind of wrap up is that I think technology can can really help people quite a bit. I know I have colleagues who are so proficient with uh, voice technology, screen readers. Their I—it's amazing the things they can do with their iPhones and their smartphones. Yes. Yeah, I think that you you raise a really good point that I that I forgot to put in my notes, but um, there there is a, a podcast, uh, no, not a podcast, a, a, a YouTube a series by a, a, a gentleman. His, his name is Sam. Um, he he the, it's called The Blind Life. Uh, you may be familiar right. with it, which right. I recommend to people because he's amazing. You know, he reviews all this all this technology and. And it really, I think that, that that's a new frontier in some ways that, um, we should be, uh, trying to pursue further. But cost is a real big issue for, um, for people with a fixed income and, and people with low income in general. And so how can we make the technologies that are maybe, you know, allow people to work and be active and do the things they love available to people who don't can't afford a $3,000 reader or something like that. Right. And coincidentally, we had a national webinar a few weeks ago on low vision and Sam was a guest. Oh, wonderful. And so he was wonderful. He's got a great attitude, good sense of humor, a really cool beard as a beard. Yes. Guy. <laughs> I appreciate the long beard, and, but um, yeah, he, he's a great resource that, that again is called the blind life. Yeah. So Sylvia, this has been a really excellent discussion about mental health. And again, I appreciate your suggestions that for um, things people can do to try to improve their quality of life. And I think at the end of the day, mental health challenges, you know, you need to find people you can talk to, commiserate mm-hmm. with. And a lot of look for resources in your local community to help with low vision, to to help you do more of the things you like to do. Maybe one more point that I want to make is that that, um, the anxiety that sometimes comes with looking into the future, you can ameliorate that a little bit by using your problem solving strategies for future problem solving. So you can think about what, what may I have to change when my vision gets worse and start preparing for that. And that might actually make it easier than to make transitions. Good, good advice. Good advice. I'd like to remind our listeners that if you have questions down the road, you can send an email to podcast at fightingblindness.org. That's podcast at fightingblindness.org. Sylvia, again, this was a wonderful talk. Thanks for taking time out of your day to uh, interview for this podcast. Any final thoughts or, or yes. observations? <laughs> Don't Good. give up hope. <laughs> Don't give up hope. I think that that's really important um, that you uh, just because you're losing your vision doesn't mean you're losing everything else. You can, you can still 
um, find ways to do what you love. I agree. And, you know, sometimes we have to keep in mind we can't fix everything overnight. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just baby steps Mm -hmm. to to get to your destination. I know I employ that philosophy in my life. So, Sylvia, again, thank you for joining us for the Eye on the Cure podcast. And thanks to all our listeners uh, for joining us. And please stay tuned for the next episode. Bye, Sylvia. Bye-bye. This has been Eye on the Cure. To help us win the fight, please donate at foundationfightingblindness.org.